In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, I talked about Hebrews 11, and I think I said something like uh, every paragraph uh, deserves its own half-hour sermon. Um, This morning, I am going to talk eventually about Hebrews 12, but I still have a bit more to say about Hebrews 11, so we're going to... We're going to backtrack just a little bit. There's one more thing that I want us to notice. This chapter, Hebrews 11, is sometimes referred to as the great hall of faith. The author writes of Noah, sorry, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. And then he says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. If we wanted to, we could go back through these verses line by line to see exactly who the author is referring to, but we're not going to do that this morning. Instead, as hopefully all of you remember, I gave you a homework assignment last Sunday. I wanted you to go home and read Hebrews 11 and look for what I called the shift. Now, um, I'm too prideful to ask for a show of hands to see who actually went home and did their homework. Uh, but let me, let me show you where this shift occurs. Notice the change in tone, right right after this first phrase in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others obtained mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Here we are at the end of the great hall of faith. And what we hear about is suffering. Death, destitution, shame, mocking. To live by faith, is not to always get what we want. 
To live by faith is not to always have things go our way, to have things work out for us. By faith, according to verse 34, some escaped the edge of the sword. And yet, by faith, according to verse 37, some were killed with the sword. And both were experienced by faith. If we think that living by faith means that everything will always go well for us, we do not really understand what faith is. By faith, sometimes you escape the edge of the sword, and by faith, sometimes the sword pierces through your body. By faith, some were stoned. And by faith, some conquered kingdoms. By faith, the mouth of lions were stopped. And by faith, some were tortured. Let's call this what it is. The anti-health and wealth gospel. Gospel faith or saving faith is not faith that things will always go well for me if I just believe hard enough. It is rather faith that believes that no matter what this world does to me, the promises of God still remain. The promises of God will come true no matter what. No matter what the world does to me. On this side of death, or on the other. And the reason the author of Hebrews has to make this clear after going through this incredible list of heroes of the faith is because quite obviously the hero of the faith is Jesus of Nazareth, for whom things didn't exactly go so well on this side of Easter. This is exactly the point the author is making as he moves into chapter 12. He writes, first, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and let me stop right there, that's what the saints are. The Old and New Testament saints are for us a great cloud of witnesses who are encouraging us, through their lives, through their writing, to continue to run our race to the end. The reason that we honor them and remember them, like we will honor and remember the Blessed Virgin Mary tomorrow, is because we need to hear their voices as they encourage us through their examples to continue to run our race. To pray to them as some do is merely to recognize that they are alive and not dead and already in the presence of God. We ask each other to pray for us when we are in trouble, when we are in need. Some ask the saints to pray for them as well because the saints are alive and they are encouraging us by their lives and their writing and their testimony to keep running the race that is set before us. But their main witness to us, their main encouragement to us is through what has been written, through Holy Scripture and their own writings. We have this incredible blessing of this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we run our race. And the author continues, Let us then set aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The imagery here is sort of a, a stadium where this race is being run. The saints who have gone before us have finished the race and have now gone up into the stands and they are encouraging us from the stands to continue running, to continue persevering, to keep heading forward on the path. They are encouraging us through their lives and their writing to set aside the sin in our lives which weighs us down from running the race that is set before us. They are encouraging us to keep going with endurance just as they did before this. And he, they do this, the author says. They encourage us and so we run this race with the hall of faith cheering us on. Not, not by setting our eyes on the crowd, but rather by looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is so much to unpack here, but I'll, I'll be quick. First, the word for founder, um, archigogos, refers really to something probably more like a, a trailblazer. That is to say that Jesus is the one who has already blazed the trail for us. He has run the race. He has made it across the finish line. And so we follow his path. Again, this is why I expect you to go from this place, go home and read your Bible throughout the week. Because we must be looking to him and his example, and his life, and his teaching, if we are to know the path that we are to run, if we are to know the way to the finish line. Second, Jesus is not just the trailblazer of our faith, but he is miraculously, stunningly, incredibly also its perfecter. It cannot be said enough that we are becoming who we already are in Him. And who we are in Him has already been made perfect by His own blood. So He doesn't just blaze the path for us, but He is also the one who perfects in us the faith that He demands from us. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one who perfects in us through His Holy Spirit, through the community, through the saints, through everything that sort of makes church and Christian life what it is, He is the one who perfects in us the faith that He demands from us. He is the founder, the archagogos, the one who goes before, and He is the perfecter of our faith. And third, at last, we come back to the switch we noted in Hebrews 11. Jesus is the ultimate example of faith, the one to whom we look and no other, and yet he endured the pain and shame and suffering of the cross. He endured all of this, the humiliation, the agony, he did all of this, endured all of this. Why? For the joy that was set before him. That 
is how saving faith works. Faith does not guarantee us anything in this life. We may escape the edge of the sword and we may die by the edge of the sword because saving faith is about the life to come. It's about the joy just beyond the horizon that we cannot yet see, but we believe that it is there. Because we have heard the promises of the one true God, and we have heard the disciples' testimony about what the one true God did for Jesus of Nazareth. And so we set our eyes on Him and nothing else. We consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted as we run our race, as we follow the path that he set for us. Jesus is our trailblazer. We call ourselves a church on the way. And that way is the path on which he has gone before us. On the way is the cross, shame, hostility, suffering, persecution. On the way, we may escape the edge of the sword and we may die by the edge of the sword, but that's not what matters. What matters is finishing our race well. That is, finishing our race by faith. What matters is crossing the finish line because just beyond the finish line is the last great Easter day. And that day is so filled with indescribable joy that anything we endure on this side of death will seem meaningless and insignificant by comparison. So let us run the race. Let us follow Jesus on the way, wherever that way leads. Because there is joy set before us. We can't see it. But it's there. Just over the horizon. Just beyond the finish line. If you believe that, then go from this place with your eyes set upon Jesus and run your race and follow him on the way wherever that path leads. Amen.